Good? Yeah. Okay. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. Welcome back. This is Kirby. This is Katie. And we're bringing you episode six. Episode six of Killer Babes. Here we go. We've got some special guests here. Yes, we're very, very excited. Our first episode with a guest. So, welcome. Hi. My dad. Hi. <laughs> Tell him your name. Oh, my name's Gil. I'm from Westport. Okay. And my mother's also sitting here. She's going to act as an audience member today. And I'm Joanne from Westport. Married since 1977. All right. I thought you were going to say different years. I did too. I really did. Yeah. That could happen. Yes. Could certainly happen. So how are you doing today, Dad? I'm good. Yeah? How are you? I'm good. Thanks for asking. Good. (laughs) Oh, I didn't play you in Words and Friends this morning. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, you're losing. You did play me. I'm losing. I know. The Ugh. only is it is he not the only person you play in words? Yeah, I literally uh, don't accept anyone else because I forget sometimes to play. Like I'll go like three days and then it'll hit me during work and I'll literally shout at my desk <laughs> and be like, "No!" Everyone turns and I'm like, "I have to play words with friends." It's like day nine. Like I'm getting expires <laughs> in ten days. I've let games go and I've been winning in those games. It's so frustrating. Who wins the most? Gil, for sure. But only because I time out of a lot of them because I forget. I should set like a weekly timer. Like every Monday I should You should just retire now so that that's all you have to do all day. No, I love it though. Oh, I should retire. Yeah, I should retire for work for sure. Yeah, I'm ready tomorrow. I'll check out and only play Kirby, words with friends. 25. <laughs> I'm not even 25 yet. <laughs> Birthday soon. You've got long ways to go, girl. Long way. But yes, Gil is the only person that I play with, with Words and Friends. And I think we have like five or six games going on. Something like that. Yeah. It's good stuff. Good stuff. So nobody add me because I only play one person. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I can handle right now. I'm not taking applications for more friends on Words (laughs) with Friends. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So this week is really cool because we are going to delve into what's known as the Satanic Panic. Yes. Uh, Wiki, Rational Wiki, describes satanic panic as a phenomenon characterized by widespread fear about the presence of a satanic ritual abuse in one's community, state, or country. The 1960s brought on a decade of a spiritual awakening in America as a counterculture arose from the ashes of the 1950s social norms. So kids began rejecting the, cu- the cultural beliefs of their parents, and they went against things like segregation or involvement in the Vietnam War. The youth of the counterculture was going through what some would call an existential crisis. Many people reacted by turning to drugs, communes, or various self-help groups that claimed to offer a path to self-discovery and a higher purpose. If this is sounding culty to you, that's probably because it is. Cult following saw a massive influx during the 70s. America noticed, and it started to worry immediately. The backlash to these strange new religious sects led to the rise of the counter-cult movement. The shock of counter-cultists successfully tapped into the everyday concerned parent. From within the satanic panic, a cultural phenomenon was born. Although the vast majority of the hype was unsubstantiated, there were a few cases that gave true cause to the panic. One such case is the satanic killings of Fall River, Massachusetts. Yes. So, can you guys attest to that at all? Because you kind of, you were alive. Yes, we were alive then. Yes, yeah. I was not. Oh, you definitely were not alive in the, <laughs> in the late 60s and early 70s. No, I wasn't even a thought. Maybe I was a thought. You weren't even a thought. Oh, okay. Well, okay. <laughs> I remember reading a book about 
Charles Manson family helped a skelter mm-hmm. and being afraid to go down to the cellar of my house. Mm-hmm. Um, not because I thought it was there, but it was just spooky, the book. Mm-hmm. It was looming in your mind. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, but there were no, there was no cult thing going on in Fall River. That you so knew of. That I knew of. But it was like countrywide kind of a fear. Um, I would say more so in like the California area. Than well, because that's where Charles Manson was, right? Yeah, yeah. But the fear of Charles Manson was... Nationwide. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So for anyone who's not particularly uh, well-versed in geography, the city, <laughs> the city of Fall River, Massachusetts is located approximately 53 miles south of Boston, 17 miles southeast of Providence, Rhode Island, and it is the 10th largest city in the state of Massachusetts. Fall River's official motto is, we'll try, which dates back to the aftermath of the Great <laughs> Fire of 1843. We'll try. Are you guys confident with that being <laughs> no. a town Does that motto? Speak to you? That... <laughs> we'll try. I mean, we'll try to do it right. But we may not get it. No promises. No promises. We'll try, though. <laughs> I mean, got to credit them for trying. <laughs> they tried yeah. on the logo, the motto. <laughs> they tried for like one second and came up with the motto, we'll try. Yeah. It's so short, too. Uh, do other towns or cities have like longer mottos? I didn't even, I didn't I even know that there was a motto. I has a motto. I don't think every city has a motto. I don't know. Hmm. Huh. That's a good question. Research. I don't think research. anybody else has that motto. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. Maybe someone has like, we'll try harder. We'll do it, yeah. maybe. Like, <laughs> we'll get it done. We'll, we'll get it right. Yeah. Just we'll, do we'll, it. We'll try. Yeah, Nikes. That's so funny. The city became famous during the 19th century as the leading textile manufacturing center in the United States. However, by the 1970s, the declining economy of the United States hit Fall River hard. Factories closed, buildings were abandoned, and the downtown area was total wasteland. Uh, this kind of provided a very fertile area for, unfortunately, drugs, gangs, and prostitution to crop up. Now that we've set the scene, this brings us to the story of a local Fall River woman who was convicted in one of the most notorious murders ever in southern New England. Did you say notorious? Did I? Yeah. That was fine. <laughs> Yeah, it's close enough, right? Okay. Yeah. I didn't say nocturnal. <laughs> nope, just a variation of it. Yeah. <laughs> Good job, Kate. Good. Oh, my God. <laughs> Thanks. Okay. So on October 13th, 1979, a body was discovered behind the Diamond Vocational High School in Fall River. The body was soon identified as Doreen Levesque, a 17-year-old runaway from New Bedford, which is a nearby city. Levesque was discovered with her wrist bound by fishing line and several signs of sexual torture were present. She had been stabbed in the head several times and suffered multiple skull fractures. Police discovered that the young girl had been prostituting herself and so they had initially suspected that it was just one of her clients that committed the murder. However, the county medical examiner determined that the killing was very likely committed by multiple people and the forensic evidence suggested a ritual element to the crime, a possible death by stoning. A month after the discovery of Doreen Levesque, another young prostitute who worked the same area was reported missing. 22-year-old Barbara Raposa was reported missing by a man named Andy Maltias, who claimed to be Raposa's boyfriend. Maltias told police that he feared for his girlfriend's safety. At the station, the 44-year-old New Bedford man admitted that he and his girlfriend were Satanists, 
and belonged to a local cult, and he claimed to have information relating to the Levesque murder. He believed other members of the cult were responsible for the killing and arranged for police to meet two of the other women who were involved in that cult, Karen Marsden and Robin Murphy. Okay, so now enters the scene Karen Marsden. She's a 20-year-old single mother who worked Fall River's red light district. Police accounts describe her as nervous and emotional, the exact opposite of Robin Murphy, who was described as cold, calculated, and very intelligent. Murphy, only 17 at the time, was both, both a prostitute and an aspiring pimp. The girls were open about their relationship as both roommates and lovers. While talking to police, Marsden eventually broke down and admitted that, quote, Carl Drew killed Doreen Levesque. So now we have Carl Drew, a 26-year-old pimp with a violent reputation from New Hampshire, running his business out of the Bedford Street District. Karen Marsden claimed that Drew organized his prostitution ring as a satanic coven that he ruled with an iron fist, referring to him as the devil. She would not go into more detail during the interview, claiming that she was scared for her life. Drew was Doreen Levesque's pimp, but beyond that, there was nothing to link him to the murder. Later, Karen Marsden and Carol Fletcher, another young prostitute with ties to the cult, took police to a nearby forest, which we covered in episode two. Freetown State Forest. If you're a loyal listener, you should know what we're talking about. Yep, you would know. Freetown State Forest, holla. It's got a lot of history. Mm -hmm. But it was here that the girls claimed the cult had their nightly gatherings. On January 26th, 1980, a frozen bloody body was discovered in the woods behind an abandoned printing factory. The victim was identified as Barbara Raposa, and this is the young woman who was reported missing by her boyfriend, Annie Maltias. When she was found, Raposa's wrists were tied together with fishing line. She had been sexually assaulted, and her skull had been crushed with a rock. The detectives immediately contacted Annie Maltias, the last known person to see her alive, but he denied any knowledge of the crime. However, days later, Maltias contacted the police, saying details of the murder came to him in a psychic dream. He shared the details of this dream, such as where the body was discovered, positioning, time of death, how she was killed, and details that the public did not know at the time. So not surprisingly, they, the detectives handcuffed him, charged him with murder, and then after his arrest, Robin Murphy offered to testify against Maltias as a witness. And she claimed she was present for the killing of Doreen Levesque. In exchange for her cooperation, she was placed in protective custody and granted immunity in both murders. This is when I first became aware of these murders when um, Malteus was uh, arrested be just because of the strange things he said about how it mm -hmm. came to him in a dream. I mean, wh yeah, what is that? He had a dream of her death and knew yeah, every knew single exactly detail from the dream. It doesn't sound right. I mean, he must have been on drugs, right? Well, he supposedly he had some mental issues too. Oh. Hmm. Okay. So he he may have killed her, or he may not have. Do you I, think he's a psychic? No, I don't think he's. A yeah. Psychic. I mean, he he may have been there. Maybe like the guilt was overwhelming, and or maybe he even just kind of like blacked it out, even though yeah. he was there and didn't. And, and like he thought he thought it was actually a dream come to him in like a dream. Like he may, he he may have been on acid when they did it. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, he may have been tripping. I'm sure he was on drugs. I'm sure they all were. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they were like 24-7. Yeah. Well. So the story that uh, Murphy gave to detectives and in court was that Maltias had killed Barbara Raposa 
once he discovered she had cheated on him. Murphy said she had been with them the night of the murder. They partied, and then they were arguing. Maltias allegedly raped Barbara Raposa behind an abandoned factory, and then he beat her with his fists, then a rock. He then drove off with Murphy, leaving Barbara Raposa there to die. Barbara Raposa was a prostitute, right? Yeah. Wasn't she cheating on him, like, all the time? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yes, but maybe he thought she was in love with somebody else. Or maybe it was, like, cheating work. Like, she wasn't giving him the pay, so he wasn't receiving I don't think he was her pimp. No. Uh Oh. I think Carl Drew was. Wasn't Carl Drew's everyone Carl Drew or Robin Murphy was the pimp. So she was in a relationship with the pimp and, like, her boyfriend then? It's all very... Con- well, you're not in a relationship with your pimp. He just pimps you out. Yeah, but I think pimps usually, like... No, no, no. Yeah, but all of- that's not really a relationship. Yeah. I guess. But maybe the pimp thinks it is. This is no. way beyond our, <laughs> yeah, I don't our know. knowledge of anything. So That's just controlled by the pimp. Yeah. As for the killing of Doreen Levesque, Murphy claimed that the teenage prostitute had recently left Drew's coven with the intention of working the streets on her own. Not about to let that happen, Drew tracked down his former employee at a Bedford Street bar and forced her into his car. Pier 14. This is the bar you guys are talking about? Pier 14. It's where all the prostitutes used to be in the 70s and 80s. Did you go there? No. I drove <laughs> by there. I never went in there. Why not? That would have been so much better information for this story. I'm sorry. I never partook. But it was well known. Yes, it was very well Everyone known. Knew. That's Every, where you everybody, went. If... Everybody knew where the prostitution fall ever hung out. Okay. So from there, Robin Murphy, Karen Marsden, and a man named Willie Smith, who was Drew's friend and a fellow Satanist, were also present in the car. They pulled behind the Diamond High School and the two men took the girl under some bleachers, out of sight. According to her initial statement, Murphy heard no screams and claimed to see nothing. After what she claimed was a few minutes, the men returned without Levesque, and the four of them drove away. When asked what happened to her, Drew replied, you don't want to know. Again, this is all Murphy's account. Um, Her account didn't quite jive, though, with the evidence. Forensic evidence suggested an extremely violent picture of sexual assault, prolonged torture, and a very bloody death which one would assume she would hear some noise from something like that, or at least see some, if they came back in the car, you'd think they'd be bloody. You'd think she'd see something. But she claimed to not see anything or hear anything, which is like a little suspicious, I would Mm -hmm. say. Yep. During this time, Karen Marsden continued to stay in touch with detectives working on the case. While she maintained that Carl Drew was the cult figurehead behind these killings, she pointed to Murphy as also playing a direct leading role. Unfortunately, Karen Marsden was considered an unreliable witness due to her drug use, erratic behavior, and unwillingness to testify in court. She was absolutely terrified that someone would punish her for saying too much. Marsden's fears were affirmed when she was reported missing on February 9, 1980. Two months later, in April of 1980, a gruesome discovery was made in nearby Westport, Massachusetts. Holla! Holla to Westport. Oh, to Westport. (laughs) That wasn't far from our house. So Westport is where my parents live. It's where I grew up. A little inside insight. Do you want to mention your weird discovery one day? Well, I think we should read this paragraph and then tell them because we'll give some background. While clearing a parcel of land near Deval Pond, a man stumbled across the top half of a human skull. After searching the area, police found the decaying carcasses of three cats, sheep bones, and clumps of human hair. 
They also found some jewelry, a high-heeled shoe, and pieces torn from a woman's sweater. Forensics determined that the skull belonged to Karen Marsden. A woman named Maureen Sparta told the police that Robin Murphy had killed Karen Marsden. Carol Fletcher, the woman who went with Marsden to take police to the Freetown State Forest, also claimed that Robin Murphy, along with Carl Drew, were responsible for the murder. Fletcher claimed that she was the one who drove the group, including Robin Murphy, Carl Drew, and Drew's friend Carl Davis, out to a secluded forest where the satanic sacrifice took place. So many Carls. Yeah. Mm. Robin Murphy was soon arrested. She was brought back to Fall River from Dallas, Texas, where she had been staying under the witness protection agreement following her involvement in the Raposa case. Carl Drew and Carl Davis were also indicted and placed under arrest. During her interview with police, Murphy admitted that Marsden had become too much of a liability with witnessing the killings of Doreen Levesque. She claimed Carl Drew was the one who planned and took control of the slaying with the help of Carl Davis and forced Murphy to take part. Murphy claimed she was forced to drag Marsden from the car and pull her hair. This was followed by a ritual stoning by Drew, Murphy, Fletcher, and Davis. Carl Drew then cut one of Marsden's fingers off to make her feel pain and broke her neck with his bare hands. Murphy claimed she was in a, quote, trance-like state and under the direction of Drew when she followed up by slitting Marsden's throat with a knife. The two men then tore the girl's head off and kicked it around the woods. Paying homage to Satan, Drew then carved an X into Marsden's torso and began to speak in tongues. He then dipped his finger in her blood and made an X on Murphy's forehead. Finally, Murphy was made to perform oral sex on the headless cadaver before it was dumped in the woods doused in gasoline, and burned to ashes. So they were they cut off her head, right? And then they somehow found the skull in Westport. Yes, probably about less than two miles from our house. Uh-huh. And I, and I remember we had just bought the house about six months before this happened. And I was walking out in the woods right behind our house, and I found a skull on the ground. It was an animal skull. It looked like maybe it might have been a pig's head or something. But at the time, how would you know? I, Well, I knew it wasn't a human skull. Oh, you did? You could tell? Yes. But it was still, it was like, could the cults have been behind our house? I mm-hmm. didn't know. It was kind of kind of scary. Because you had already known about... Yeah, this yeah. had already come out. This came out in uh, April of 1980. We bought our house in October of 19. 19- 79, I believe. So it was right after you bought the house. You're like, I would like a refund, please. (laughs) It was like six months after we bought the house. And I just happened to be walking around in the woods behind the house. Mm -hmm. And I stumbled across this pig skull. Did you tell mom? I think I told you, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But you guys weren't scared? Um... Only that they may have been there, but they were all under arrest. Honestly, they might have killed a pig during a sacrifice. Yeah, exactly. That could have been cult activity. Could have been. Or it could have just been a pig from a farm. There's no farms around our house. Well, yeah, but there were probably years ago. Yeah, there probably were. Like, close enough that the pig could get there, no? Poor pig. It was just a skull that was there. There was nothing else. Well, I don't think it survived that. Like, No, the body parts were there. Hmm. But, I don't know. Spooky. But it was the woods. I mean, you never know what you're going to find. The beliefs of the Fall River cult could best be described as a crude form of theistic Satanism, that is, literal devil worship. 
I worship Satan, Carl Drew would tell police while under interrogation. I worship him like you would worship God. The practices of the group didn't have any known connections to any of the established Satanist organizations, such as the Church of Satan. If anything, the cult's nocturnal gatherings most closely resembled the type of worship associated with various charismatic Christian sects, with participants claiming to speak in tongues, conjuring deities, and achieving altered states of consciousness. As expected, the court trials of Andy Maltese, Carl Drew, Robin Murphy, and Carl Davis were a media circus, with headlines raving about satanic rites, sexual torture, and cult murder. Because as we remember, everyone was nervous about this anyway, so we kind of, not we, they kind of jumped on the story. For the most part, the public believed that these four individuals were only the tip of the iceberg, and a dangerous cult was still active in the area, providing fodder for sinister urban legends in the years that followed. In January of 1981, Andy Maltias was convicted in the first-degree murder of Barbara Raposa and given a life sentence without the possibility of parole. Much of the case against him was based on the witness testimony of Robin Murphy. Because of the overwhelming media coverage, it was decided that a fair trial just wouldn't be possible for Murphy, Drew, and Davis anywhere in Bristol County. The case would be moved to Worcester County Superior, Superior Court in Fitchburg, Mass., Robin Murphy's lawyer convinced the court that his young client had been under the powerful influence of the satanic cult at the time of the Marsden murder, allowing her to plead to the lesser charge of second-degree murder in exchange for her testimony against her co-defendants. Additionally, the immunity deal she struck up with the district attorney's office held, and she received no additional charges in connection with the Levesque or Raposa killings. Murphy received a life sentence with, with the possibility of parole. After spending 24 years behind bars, she was released on June 10, 2004. She was actually free for seven years, roaming about the area, but then she returned to prison following a parole violation. She was charged with associating with a known criminal. So the state police, they were actually working a stakeout as part of an unrelated investigation, um, they stopped the car that, Mar that Murphy was in, and they found Murphy in the presence of a convicted felon. So I guess this broke her parole, because her parole prohibited her from associating with criminals. So Murphy was most recently up for parole on March 28, 2017, but that was denied. She is currently serving her time in a maximum security prison in Framingham, Massachusetts. The case against Carl Davis fell apart and he never stood trial for his alleged role in the abduction and ritual slaughter of Karen Marsden. However, the following year he was arrested for assaulting Marine Sparta with a deadly weapon. According to a statement made by Carl Drew on his personal blog, Davis beat the three-month pregnant Sparta and stabbed her in the head with a knife because she had information implicating both him and Robin Murphy in absolving Drew in Marsden's murder. He served seven years and is now free. Carl Drew would go down as the guiding hand of the Fall River cult murders. Through numerous character witnesses, it was pretty well established that he was a man who was feared by basically everyone around him. Robin Murphy's testimony painted him as a violent, sadistic killer who acted as the ringleader during these slayings, and the jury believed her. Further damning testimony came from his ex-girlfriend, a woman named Leah Johnson, who claimed that Drew admitted to her that he had killed a girl, along with Davis, Murphy, and another woman, which we presume to be Carol Fletcher, while under the influence of drugs. 
He also allegedly gave Johnson a diamond ring that belonged to Marsden. That's gross if that's true. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Carl Drew was convicted of first-degree murder and is serving a life sentence at the Massachusetts Correctional Institution in Shirley, Massachusetts, with no possibility of parole. Drew filed for his last possible appeal in 2006, but it was denied. The case involving Doreen Levesque's murder never went to trial. In 1984, Robin Murphy recanted her entire testimony in an unsuccessful attempt for a new trial. Quote, I believe Carl Drew was guilty of killing Karen and many, many other women in the area, Murphy later told Parole Board. Quote, I believed he belonged in jail, but also knew justice was not taking place. So I made the story up. Right. So Murphy was not the only one who recanted this statement. Um, some of the other witnesses also recanted their trial statements, claiming that they were made under police pressure or else the influence of drugs, if not police pressure. Carol Fletcher, who was a key witness allegedly present for Karen Marsden's murder, maintains that she was threatened by police into making her false statements in order to convict Carl Drew. She now claims that the murder did not even take place in the woods of Westport. According to her revised statements, Robin Murphy killed Marsden at the Harbor Terrace housing projects in Fall River, and the body was then dismembered and dumped at various locations. They were fighting, and Robin... This is a quote from Fletcher. They were fighting and Robin started pulling Karen's hair out of her head. I saw Robin put the knife toward Karen and I ran off. I was scared. Paul Carey, a detective from the Fall River Major Crimes Division who worked on the case, has his own theory. He quotes, I still believe that Murphy was the real ringleader, not Drew. That Levesque was murdered because Murphy was also in love with her and became jealous when Levesque started seeing Drew. I believe Murphy and Marsden were present when Levesque was killed. I think Murphy killed Raposa because Raposa was in love with Matias. Murphy admitted that she and Raposa had previously been lovers. And I believe Murphy killed Marsden because of the two previous murders. Marsden was at the scene of those murders, and I believe Murphy knew she was the weak link and might get them convicted. End quote. What do you guys think? I don't know. It, it might have been Murphy. I think, personally, that she had a much bigger role than she... Oh, absolutely. She was protecting herself with her testimony. She's smart. I mean, what she did to get that... Um, what do you call it? Immunity. Yeah. I think she's smart by getting that immunity that she got because she knew that it would help her in the long run to not get the full-on first-degree murder sentence. Supposedly she had a very high IQ. Yes, they said she had an IQ of, like, what, 120-something? No, 130-something. 130-something. So I think she definitely is responsible for more than she got put down for. Mm -hmm. I don't think I don't think Carl Drew is completely innocent, even though he still claims to this day that he is. Um, I don't see how that's possible. I... Oh, he definitely did some wrong things. Yeah. I think it's just crazy because there's so many different people involved in this and they all are saying different things and then taking it back and then saying other things. Um, also, I was reading in a bunch of places that a lot of people think that this investigation was corrupt. Like they were saying that a lot of the police people were kind of forcing them to say these things. And I think they kind of 
um, weaved the story to get Carl Drew in jail. So they were making people say things and then people were coming back and saying, I didn't mean that, that I was forced into that testimony or whatever. Well, that's what Carl Drew is saying now from prison. Yeah. He was also given a lawyer, a public defender who had never tried a, a criminal case before, never tried a murder case and, and no, no longer tries criminal cases at all. Wow. So it's not a good lawyer, is that what you're saying? You're definitely not oh, a good he lawyer. That he, had. he got screwed. Do you think he got screwed? Yes. I think he was. He may have been set up. He may have done it, mm-hmm. but I think it was all stacked oh, yeah, against him, too. Some of that. Mm-hmm. Just so that they could Find say, someone. we found a person. It's solved. Yeah, That's the end. You're welcome. Let's face it. They said, we'll try. They tried. <laughs> <laughs> they did try. They did try. They're right. I guess people not want lying. conviction. They don't want people running around knowing, you know. They do. People want conviction. So get them. Cut Put easy try. He did it. Done. Yeah. Um, so are you guys nervous that she might ever? Because she was convicted of second degree murder with the possibility of parole. So I think we said every five years she is eligible for parole. So the next time it's 2022, she's eligible again. She could be free. She could be roaming around. She could be. Are you nervous? Not at all. Why? Because I don't think she'll ever see the light of day. Really? They won't let her? They won't let her out again. Yeah, from everything I was reading, the parole board is very harsh on her. They, what they mostly pin her on is that she just lies. Like, she never, her story's never straight. She'll say something changes. and come back and be like, no, no, I lied. It was this. And they're like, I, we can't, you're not credible. We can't believe you. I'm she's not going to She's never really out. admitted to the other two murders. Mm-hmm. Or even the murder she was convicted of. She's changed the story numerous times on that. So they're not going to let her out. Mm-hmm. So we have another funny connection to the story too, or my dad does. Tell, tell the story. Okay. I had bought a 1969 Volkswagen bus from uh, an uncle of mine. Those are like the hippie things, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was it, so fun. It was kind of a fun vehicle. What it color? A, Bright orange? It was yeah. written out and it was red and white. Oof. It was really a piece of junk. <laughs> yeah, I had to wear a blanket on my legs. When yeah, the driving. heat didn't had work. No you had to scrape the inside of the windshield and it went to time to get the frost off of it. And I remember driving it on a Brightman Street bridge going to, going to bowling in Somerset. And the axle let go. What's the axle? That's what controls the rear wheels. Oh, that's not good. No, that wasn't good. So we just left it there and walked over to bowling and bowled. You walked over to bowling? You left the car there? Yeah, you were right that there. dedicated to like bowling? Right was, we were only like five minutes away from bowling. Isn't that? Okay, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> it was a piece of shit. Anyway, related to this story, um, had, had the vehicle fixed. And I, within a year or so, I was selling it. And at the time, I worked with Bob Murphy, who was Robin Murphy's father that I didn't know at the time. And he came over because he was interested in it, and he bought the vehicle. He came over to your house? He came over to my house, looked at the vehicle, talked me down on a price. He got away with a good price? He got a good price. I think I sold him five So she got the smarts from her dad? I don't know. (laughs) So I sold him for five hundred dollars, oh, and he brought five hundred dollars. My goodness! Well, it was a piece of shit. It was, and I I didn't want it anymore. I wasn't interested in this vehicle anymore. I had already bought another one, and he was going to bring it home to his house and put a for sale sign on it and get a higher price. Do you know if he did that? 
I imagine he did. He but we don't actually know what happened to that car. No, we don't. Oh, I don't. It was a getaway car. So maybe it's in the uh, Freetown State Forest right now under the lake. I they mean, dump a lot of cars well, there. He could have given that to his daughter. We don't know. I don't think he would give his car to his daughter. Why do you think? No, why not? Because I don't think they, I don't no. know for sure, but I don't think they had much of a relationship at that time. Oh, you're right. I did hear that. Yeah. And they would have been, she would have been younger. Did you know when you were selling the car to him who he was? No. Did no, you, I didn't, didn't know his relationship to Robin oh, Murphy. okay. I wow. just knew him as Bob Murphy, who I work with at Stop and what Shop. Year, what year was that that we sold that car? Um, it might have been 1979 or 80. It is a really common last name, too. I mean, yeah, it's Irish, right? Yeah. Yes. That's the area. I know a lot of Murphys. 1980 or 79 you sold the car? I think so. So that is in the height of everything. Yeah. 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 But we did not connect that at all. No. I bet I bet she probably came into the store once or twice and you probably no. even said hi. I don't think they were I don't think they had a a, a good relationship. And she gotcha. was younger than us. I mean she was a, working as a prostitute in Fall River. I don't think her father had too much to do with her at the time. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. That is really crazy. It's what did you get a new car in Yeah, what kind of car did you get? Yeah. What kind of car did I get after that? Was it the Ford Fairmont? I have no idea. I don't know any cars. I don't know why I asked. I don't know anything. It might have been a Ford Fairmont. It was not as much fun as the Volkswagen. No, it wasn't. And it wasn't that good of a car either. No. Well, at least the axle didn't break on it. No, it didn't. Got to get to bowling somehow. Rip. Rip Volkswagen. R-I-P. Yeah. So we mentioned the Freetown State Forest earlier because they claimed that a lot of their rituals or what have you occurred there. Um, and we also, we talked about the Freetown State Forest in our second episode. So there's a connection there. And I, I, I don't know if we mentioned in the second episode, but police at some point had found an abandoned shack in the forest that had like a bunch of occult objects in it. Like, I don't know, voodoo dolls or... Dolls. dolls oh, yeah, it said dolls with their eyes gouged out, like a sh like a butcher's knife, just random stuff that you would just like associate with a cult. So cult starter pack. Cult <laughs> starter pack. Hello, it's like you get that at Ocean State job. Oh my goodness! You can have it sent to your door, like the Hello yeah. Fresh kit or like whatever, for just twenty nine ninety nine a month. Yes, <laughs> or three installments of ten dollars. You can get the cult starter pack. It's $5 at Job Lot with Crazy Bucks. I'm what sure crazy it is. Bucks. <laughs> crazy deals. Crazy oh, deals. Gotcha. <laughs> but yeah, that's just connect another connection to this one. They found it like a satanic altar too. So they think that possibly like this cult, or if you want to even call it that, had a lot of happenings in the forest. Which, like, like, we covered in the second one. The forest is so big that I, if you wanted to hide in there, it's definitely possible. Yeah. Which makes it a great place. I just wonder how much of this cult thing is true. Yeah, and just what's hyped up. Yeah, because, like we said, everyone was kind of hyping it up because I think this actually kind of started with, like, the Catholic Church mm -hmm. because people were kind of coming out of the normal Catholic ways of the 50s and they were doing their own thing and they were rebelling the and the Catholic, Catholic Church I think got really scared and so they kind of 
didn't want people to go against them because obviously it's, if we're being honest, kind of a business. My way or and, the highway. Yeah, and so they kind of started this satanic panic, really, to get everyone nervous about it and to make them pray their way out of it, to bring them back to the church. So I think this whole thing was kind of over-dramatized, and I, maybe even police worked it up, and I think definitely the media did. For sure, the media, yeah. So I don't know how much of the stuff that they find in the forest is, like, true versus just, like, teenagers going out there and, like putting weird stuff in there to, like, freak people other people out. people just dumping their trash there. I mean, yeah, literal trash. Like butcher knives and yeah. dolls with their eyes gone. Doll butcher stuff. knives? You, you don't normal dolls? trash, you yeah. know. Five-year-olds don't need their dolls anymore. <laughs> Every, everyday trash. Um, and then that's also, we talked about Mary Lou Arruda. She was the girl that was murdered and her body was found in the forest. Tied to a tree. Tied to a tree. So a lot of people like speculate that this was had something to do with the the cult and Robin Murphy and, and Carl Drew. They think that like it's possible that they had a connection to it. So she was killed before all of this other stuff came out. But they're trying to people tried to draw a connection between the two. Um, like we said, James Cater was the one that was tried for the murder of Mary Lou Arruda, but he was never found guilty. They really didn't have any evidence on him besides his car, I think, looked like the same car that witnesses saw, but he was never found guilty for that. He was found guilty for something else, so no one was actually ever found guilty for her murder. So I think a lot of people just was like, oh, this is another murder that happened in the same area. Like, it must be the cult. Well, it was 10 years later, now I remember, that it was the prostitutes, the highway murders. They were trying yeah, to so then that. there was also the New Bedford Highway murders that they said might have also had to do with this. I guess somebody saw crosses near a lot of the bodies, which we, spoiler alert, will probably talk in another episode about. Coming soon. That's another thing that happened in the area was highway murders, so they think that might have had something to do with this as well. But it was 10 years later. But that was 10 years later. But they're going to grab at straws, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I think that's kind of all we have on the case and of my opinion on it. Anything else to add, Dad? Nope, that's about it. I loved having you as a yeah, guest. Thanks for being this here. This was fun. Thank you. You thanks had a good time? Me. I did. Will you be a guest again? If I have something to add. Okay, we'll I like that. We'll just throw you some research and, and that'll be your addition. I'll do the research. Yeah, actually, yeah. Okay, you want to so, just take over? Yeah, we'll give you all no. the topics and we'll just talk. <laughs> Shoot. Ooh, what would we call your podcast? Uh, it won't be my podcast. <laughs> yeah, I'm not giving it to you like well, that. Well, you're really good at trivia, so maybe you do like a trivia podcast. Mm. We only, okay, we quiz you on things and then we give you your score at the end. That's the podcast. We already yeah. have a podcast. We don't need another one. It's yeah. too much. We need to branch out. Uh, not yet. Not yet. Oh God, I think the is in New England podcast. Okay. Uh, for now, we will. But we'll, we'll keep it as back. We've got a lot of business ventures right now. We've got all of those things that we've got to open and oh do. Oh, God. Here we go. And then podcasts. Anyway. Always grinding. Girls have time to work. Uh, yeah, well, you Spoiler know, when alert. you, do, <laughs> when you work. do work on the podcast at work. Sorry, boss. What? No. No. <laughs> uh, all right. So that wasn't too much banter for you, Dad? That's fine. Okay, good. Good amount. Good amount of banter. All good right. case, too. You want to plug us? Yeah, all right. Okay, so <laughs> wrapping it up. 
Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Killer Babes Podcast. Twitter got cut off. It's at Killer Babes Pod. And please, if you have any please. stories, inquiries, questions, comments, concerns, feedback, email us at any time, killerbabespodcast at gmail.com. And if your questions or concerns are aimed at Gilbert, we will forward them to him. And he'll answer them for you guys. No promises. No we'll promises. T- we'll try, just like the Fall River we'll Police. Try. Yeah. <laughs> that's my new life motto. Yeah, I'll try. same. Okay, well, that's all we have. Thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. See you on the next one. Bye. All right, that's it. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. Yay. And that's a wrap. Thank you.